What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and, and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? Hello there, my friends, my little fellow striving animals out there. Real talk today. This is Cody, and I haven't laughed this hard or wanted to steal so many one-liners on my own podcast before. So I'm excited to share with you some of my favorite snippets. And I, I guess I really shouldn't be surprised because my guest is Sam Parr, who's the CEO and founder of thehustle.co. And Sam is just about as quirky, funny, kind of strangely poignant as his site and newsletter. And and let me just start it with this because it's too ridiculous not to. I mean, what can you expect from a dude who went from owning a hot dog company in Nashville with commentaries such as, if you can sell meat on the street to strangers, something good is going on here, to running a site with hundreds of thousands of subscribers and millions of people frequenting his website and media company. He kind of explains it like if Bloomberg News and... The Daily Show had a baby, that would be the hustle. And I kind of think he's on point. And I reached out to Sam originally because I love fellow quirky, weird humans who are thoughtful and strategic about how they position themselves, but also incredible marketers adding value. So what's Sam's story? Listen, it all started for him with HustleCon, which is a conference he created after he had sold one of his startups in Silicon Valley and was looking to surround himself with you know, the smartest of the smart by hosting an event chock full of them. The idea was to maybe stimulate his next idea or two. And he'd figured he'd lose some money, but gain a killer network. And it turns out he got both. He made 60K on HustleCon, unexpectedly, and a few years down the road making a heck of a lot more than that. And having thousands of attendees listening to hundreds of striving weirdos my favorite types of humans share their stories. Uh, By the way, let me just mention really quickly, you're welcome. Uh, The first 10 of you to click on the link in the show notes uh, and use the code CODY, C-O-D-I-E, will get a free ticket to the event thanks to Sam. So don't ever say I never give you anything. But on this podcast in particular, we get into how Sam has systematically cultivated a zero Fs attitude. The one piece of advice he gives to all salespeople, which I definitely want to steal, and the thing he thinks we will look back on in 20 years and be amazed we were able to do this and wonder why we didn't capitalize on it enough. He also tells himself something really interesting, I thought, whenever he's told he can't or something can't be done, and it's a practice I thought was pretty poignant. So without further ado, I'm going to let you jump right into this conversation with Sam Parr so much for being on the podcast today. I'm excited to ask you totally inappropriate questions left and right without even and, knowing you. How does that sound? Probably less excited to answer them, but we'll see. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, your, your you know, newsletter, which we talked about in the... In- I will, uh, I, I'll try to convince everyone to sign up so they can see it themselves. But 
Yes, it's a shirtless man who's... Oh, correctly. I don't know. You would know better than I. Um, but I <laughs> so, um, so I was intrigued just because I thought that was ludicrous in a financial newsletter. And lo and behold, you know, I kind of get these daily emails from you all that are, you know, BuzzFeed funny, but with a lot of merit in what's happening in the world around us and not all of the noise that I typically associate with news sources. I'm a kind of an avid uh, life hacker and have read too much Tim Ferriss in my days. And so I've been on the low information diet for a long time. And yours, your newsletter kind of is, is one of the few that I like in the inbox right. every day. So because I haven't read, yeah, because I haven't read every step of it, talk to me about day one. What, um, what made you start this thing? Yeah, so it goes back to, um, I, um, I had a company before this one. So I hosted this event called HustleCon. The idea that meet, it was a conference and it was uh, where we would find all types of amazing entrepreneurs and they'd come and talk about how they started and grew their company. And my idea was I'll surround myself with really smart people and inspiring people and hopefully that can kickstart whatever idea I'm going to figure out that I want to work on next, whatever business idea I want to do. And so I hosted this event and from idea until launching it was about seven weeks. And the way that I put it together was I didn't really create much of a website, but people had to enter their email in order to like hear about it and get information about it. And then I would send them funny content that I was writing. And then if they wanted to, they could buy a ticket. And in seven weeks, it made close to $60,000. It was shocking. And um, because of that, I was kind of, I didn't think that, that was going to work out that way. And so I'm not sure if it was a fluke, my, my co-fund from my last company, and we did it again, and it made a whole lot more money than that. And while we were doing it, I read some crazy stat that said the Fox News and CNN viewer was close to 67 years old. And I thought that was crazy. And we were right, and, we, and when we were selling kits for our event, we were writing stories and creating content about each speaker. And one thing led to another, and we go, you know, we're kind of good at creating content, and we have this small community, and we're at least good enough to create content that we can convince people to fly in from the country, from all over the world, and attend an event, which is extremely inconvenient, that skill set into news and media, because there's clearly a big market. CNN and Fox News are tens of billions of dollars a year businesses, but their audiences are dying. And we thought maybe there's an opportunity there. And so that's how we came with the idea. And on day one, we, um, we used the money from our conferences and we hired uh, one person and we just started writing lots of content. And it originally started out as a blog where we did lots of crazy experiments, like where we would take LSD and talk about how it impacted our work or we would live on Soylent for 30 days. Um, but after a while, we noticed that our news was the most impactful, and it was the most, and it was the information that people wanted, that loved, that people loved. But also, our email were that we sent once a week or twice a week at the time was like had way more engagement than people than, than the website did, and it was a far better. We decided to switch to email only, and that's kind of how we got here. Fascinating. What about this skill set, right? Because there are a million conferences out there and a million more emails being sent every day. It was funny, unsolicited to me, but this last week I had part of my team together all in Chicago and I was asking them what are their favorite emails to get and, and yours is one of them on the list in tandem with some random ones like a bra company and Patagonia um, came out as the most common. But why do you need a ticket, do you think, in this sort of crowded market? What, what was even the, what was the kicker? What was the clinch? Well, the conference title was kind of weird. It was called HustleCon. That's kind of a weird name. So that caught people's attention. The event was interesting. I held it at like 
a music venue, at like a theater, so it felt kind of rock and roll-y, and I made the vibe that way. And then the conference was uh, where I found lots of non-technical founders, so like the founder of Pandora or Bonobos or Casper, people who don't code but have built these somewhat tech startups. And that's what, that was pretty interesting. But then also the content that I was writing was just like ridiculous. Like it was really like silly and just so much and that kind of, it wasn't huge, you know. I started with an email list of like 100 people and that was mostly just all my friends. So I just added to it in a matter of weeks. That went to like 2,000 people. Fascinating. Well, I do think, it's funny that you mentioned the word silly uh, and over the top. Because in, in my business and in finance in general, we're so regulated. I think we get nervous to do something different. And, you know, we were just talking this last week about a typical email versus an interesting email and how the typical email is something like, well, Brian, I hope this email finds you well. And in the time since we have spoken, I hope you had an opportunity to look at the information. I mean, it makes you want to fall asleep, even just reiterating it. And we would never speak like that. But for some reason, we write like that. And at least when I was trying to break my team out of it, they kind of kept saying, well, you know, I don't know if that feels authentic or I don't know if I could have that voice. So did you always just have this little, this little bug in you that would allow you to do zany, crazy things without fear of, of maybe what other people would think? Or did you cultivate that? I always, so how? I always had it where I was always strange and outgoing and, you know, I, I never, I never gave a shit about what people thought about me. Um, and but I didn't know how to write well, but I knew how to sell well, sell a lot of stuff. So in San Francisco, to start internet companies, I owned a chain of hot dog stands in Nashville, Tennessee called Southern Sam's, wieners as big as a baby's arms. And, and it was very strange, but I learned how to sell stuff to people on the street. And if you could sell meat on the street to a stranger, then you, you got a good little spiel or something. something. Something good is going on about you. And so... I always, I kind of just learned how to sell by reading lots of books and just like people and understanding human behavior. But then in 2012, I locked myself in my kitchen for about um, six or seven months and I just learned to copywriting and I studied it like crazy and I got really, really good at it. And I just applied my salesmanship with copywriting as well as kind of my quirkiness. And that's when I learned. How to, and then eventually I kind of studied journalism with copywriting techniques, kind of how the, the voice of the hustle came to be. Yeah. From hot dogs to hustling. Okay. I, I mean, I, I can, I can see it. It's, I suppose it all is just how you turn a phrase. Um, yeah. I mean, so, I, was, so in, I was always a bit of a wild, wild guy. So if you ask my friends from back home, no one would be surprised about how, about any of this. It's always kind of been that way. Really? What's the most ridiculous story you've never told someone publicly? Well, I would get myself in trouble, so I'd tell anything too publicly. <laughs> I, um, my first internet business was an online liquor store that sold moonshine. It was called Moonshine Online, and it made through a few loopholes in order to make it possible, and that was my first way of making money on the internet, and that was an interesting little thing to do. I love it. Well, but typically, I mean, these days I feel like a lot of people don't talk about the things that they did that didn't work or the things that they did that they didn't continue. There's this sort of, I don't know, sweeping under the rug of some of that, but you seem to share it pretty readily. How many different ventures have you had? Um, so before my first real business in college, well, here, I'll tell you something. In high school and in grade school, middle school, I was always selling stuff online. Like I would buy 
something at Goodwill and I would sell it on eBay or I would, I would go to cross country meets. I, I was a runner. I would go to cross country meets and buy cross country spikes because people would only wear them for one season. And then they weren't that, they weren't like that messed up, but like a senior in high school, most, most, most of the time isn't going to run in college. They got to get rid of their spikes and I would buy them all and then sell them on eBay. And that was kind of how I made money for a long time. But then, um, in college, uh, right when YouTube came out, I learned, I started learning about the YouTube algorithm and I would make these videos and this was scamming, but it was literally just a photo of like a, a street. And I, I knew how to write really good titles and a tag it and they would end up getting millions and millions of views. And then I would go to like, I mean, this much month video, but like, because they never really checked what the video is. They don't like, see how many views it had. And that was kind of how I was getting by back then. So that was kind of sleazy. So I can admit that. So that was my first, uh, those were, that, that was a total failure, just unethical and stupid. Um, and then after that, um, I did the hot dog stands and that worked. And then I started um, another one here in San Francisco that was the roommate matching company that we acquired. It sounds cool because we sold it, but we could have made it like work way, way, way bigger. I don't get a complete success. Um, in terms of like utter failure, I've been actually really lucky. I've never had like an earth shattering failure, but that's mainly because um, I don't have a lot to lose. So like, even, so maybe what someone else did a failure, I never really thought it was a failure just because I, I never really felt like I had anything to lose. So anything that was like slightly above my, my low expectations would, would be considered a win. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a reframe, right? As long as you're learning something from it. I mean, I know I started small two years ago and it was an e-commerce fashion business and we exited it. And so in small, actually like nothing to write home about, but um, I thought that was cool to say, first of all. And, but, but to be honest, it was the bane of my existence. I can say it right now, but at the time I was super embarrassed that I built something that was profitable and like literally the most painful thing I ever did ever, every single day, because we had, you know, hundreds of contractors as fashion stylists all around the country. And like, you might as well heard a group of cats, um, as, as managed side thing to the main thing I did anyways. Um, but I, you know, I think I got to a point eventually where I realized, yeah, it seems pretty normal that entrepreneurs have multiple ventures or at least a pivot. Um, and so I don't have quite the same bias to it now as I did before. But that took me a while. It was like right. you came out of the womb just saying. Well, I my father is an entrepreneur. My mother's an entrepreneur. My brother is. Uh, I was raised in Missouri. I, I wasn't, I didn't like, I grew up a little bit differently, I think, than people who were born and raised in San Francisco or New York. Um, so like the standard to succeed amongst some of my friends isn't exactly like as high as maybe it would be around your finance peers. Uh, I think I was, had an unfair advantage, which was my parents encouraged me to like do start businesses, but also uh, cause I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of like, I don't, I didn't really have a job forever. Um, and I was always kind of doing my own thing. There, there wasn't a lot to lose because like, I'm not, thank God I'm not in any debt. I, um, I, you know, I, I could always move back home if I had to. It is you know, like failure. It's kind of it's kind of hard to fail, I think, when you don't have a, like too much to lose. You know, I don't have a family to support, so it's a little bit different than most people's situations. I mean, that's a good caveat to have, certainly. Um, but I still, I'm fascinated lately by this idea of of why people don't go after the thing that they want and goal for them by the capability that we all have, but how we let maybe 
other people's nose, maybe the little voice inside of our head, tell well, us that we can't. So have you ever, I people, mean, done so, please. Um, one, are definitely afraid of what others think about them. Um, two, people hate ambiguity. You know, not, nine out of 10, they hate not knowing what's next. They hate not knowing what to do. And the third thing is anyone who has discovered a little bit of success, some type of scheme, they realize that confidence goes a long way. Not everyone else will follow and automatically assume that you know what you're talking about. And so amongst the friends, extremely successful, and they are all very successful, um, and they deserve to be there. But at the same time, um, they're not like particularly have the ego to act like they knew what they were doing. I could not agree more differently to have the small level of success I've had thus far is, is basically always ask for what I want and assume I just might get it. And those, those two little things yeah. and, and probably Most a little gratitude when I do um, have basically led me. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, when you were starting all of this, do you remember, was there a moment that you, somebody said to you, like, Sam, no chance. This is not going to happen. No way. Not only no way, maybe for somebody else, but no way you, you're not capable. Like, have you been told, no, you're not enough? And do you remember that moment and kind of what your reaction was yeah, to it? Yeah, what says that, but I don't even remember them. I don't really listen to it. <laughs> yeah, people say it all the time. I mean, we recently, we, I bootstrapped the business to profitability. Eventually, we uh, amount of money. Um, but like, I was turned down a, a ton. Um, but um yeah, I mean, like, you know, but I have a history of just, like, doing crazy things, like, like, just, like, moving to Australia by myself for six months when I was a teenager, or driving across the country on a motorcycle without a map or a plan. Um, you know, I think that the, the reason why I'm, 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 far, I'm far from successful, but the reason why I think I've accomplished anything is just because I just have always figured out how to, how to figure it out. The only reason why you particularly cannot, like, you do it. And when people have always said, like, there's no way you're going to pull this off, I'm like, why not? Like, can it be done? Like, can this physically happen? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, so why can't I? And so people mm. all the time, I, yeah, I just, I've never really let it, like, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's just not even a factor. Of, it, was yeah. from point, it was always, well, why can't I do this? Or why not me? Um, yeah, you never let it settle. It's a big, yeah. it's a sense of entitlement, you know, that's like a, a negative thing a lot of times, but if you do it, if you use that sense of entitlement in, in a positive way, um, I think it's good. So what for you, you've talked about like a couple of instances where you take these periods and you go to Australia for six months or you lock yourself in an apartment and learn copywriting. Is there something that gives you a sort of tunnel vision, vision and blindness to all the rest? Something that like novelty and challenge that you do? Well, um, I like to run a revenue goal for the company. Um, like what I like to do is I'll get like a 90 day sprint or something or 90 day, your quarterly goal. I just like don't, I, I only want one goal to be there. And then I just, that's, I go to bed about it. And I wake up thinking about it and that's, that's all I ever think about. And what I'm famous for doing is like my girlfriend has spent probably, thousands of dollars on spare keys because I, I will lock myself I, I lose my keys or I lock myself somewhere or like I just like forget everything because whenever I focus on a business thing else or I just forget about everything and then for like until that's accomplished I'm just like useless so it, it's pretty it's like definitely an obsessive an OCD type of thing I think but it, when we have for our quarterly goals it's all I think about um, 
outside of business. Um, another example is when I read a book, if I read a book, I have to read from start to end and I have to read every single page. Fascinating. Every book that you've ever started, you've done it's that? It's a compulsion. It's like a, I feel like it's almost like a disorder. Like I can't not do it. It, like, it gives me anxiety. I, I can't sleep knowing that I, like I'll like, if I'm going to read a book, I'll like map it out how many pages I'm going to read per day and I have to get that done. And what about if you find the book to be not I'm useful? There. I have to go. It's a, it's a not necessarily good thing, but I have to do it. Thing. It's a, mm -hmm. it's very, so are you very selective in the books? Extremely. That you take on so I, I purposely don't read a lot of things because I say I don't want that to clutter my mind. I'm sure. So then do you have a kind of a reliance almost on being self-taught and finding your own way as opposed to going to the words of others to find your way? No, no, I, um, I'm, I love getting advice from other people. Um, um, no, it's, it's just some weird compulsion where I just have to, mm. have, it's very strange. You know, I, 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 would, I would say I'm a very strange person. <laughs> I know, but, and most of us just don't talk about it. Right. I, and I, I don't know if you can actually much in life if, if you don't have some weird quirks. I mean, I talk a lot about diversity because I'm a chick and a Latina in an industry that doesn't have a lot of those at a certain level. And, and I, it's actually one of my least favorite conversations to have that I think the word can be kind of like victim mentality ish, even though I check two boxes. And, uh, but I do think that finding your quirks and leveraging them is maybe the secret, at least to anything I've achieved. So, so I dig it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that like, if you want extreme in anything, whether extreme success or extreme, if you want to be the best at anything, probably going to have extreme personality traits. And I think you have to just embrace that. Exactly. Yeah. Do what the average person be the average person is. It's uncomfortable, I think, for those. I mean, it sounds like you have a great support system, a girlfriend that understands that, for example, a team around you that gets it bare keys like hanging on every door frame. Yeah, yeah, um, but <laughs> yeah, but, and I think some of that, like what you said in the very beginning, I kind of want to go back to HustleCon, which is coming yeah, up. June 23rd. And when is June 23rd. HustleCon? June 23rd. Okay, perfect. So we'll link it in the show notes. And I was actually checking out some of the videos. It looks really interesting. And I'm sort of a habitual non-conference attender unless I'm speaking at it. But this one all half digit things you throw in there that is sort of intriguing sam so what are you thinking yeah. for this year here's what we'll do by the way okay i made the the phrase cody or the word cody c-o-d-i-e that is available for 10 free tickets. so the first 10 people who hear this and use it will get a free ticket awesome i'll make sure to link that as well and uh may the best 10 win um okay um, sorry, what was the question? Talk to me about what's going to be the weird thing going on this year. What's the focus for HustleCon? How's it going to be different? And why, why should we all jump over to it New is, York this uh, year? Oakland. Oakland. I have no idea why I want to put... What, um, what are you thinking for this year? Yeah, so it's going to be packed. There's going to be about probably about 3,000 people there all the world. Um, I'm most excited to hear Casey Neistat talk. I've never... Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know much about him. And it seems like he has a really cool story. And then we have a few other potential secret guests that we're going to be announcing. Um, we, uh, in the last minute, we have a bunch of uh, very cool investors. You can go, if you look at our Crunchbase page, you might recognize some of our investors and 
you know, there's potential that some of them might speak. You know, we've got cool investors like Bleacher Report, Tim Ferriss, um, well, a ton of different folks, and, and you never know who will come and talk. But we're, we're going to announce those in the last kind of a mystery until then. Um, well, I liked what you said about the conference in the very beginning. You wanted to find your next venture by surrounding yourself with really smart people. I think I just got lucky in my curiosity of always trying one or two new interesting humans every week. Um, but you know, when, when people are listening to this and they want to reach out to some of those people that you're talking about, or they want to like have a similar model to you to learning, how do you recommend people on themselves? with smart people or reach out to some of those stretch people that they'd like to engage with. I'm always interested because I'm sure, Sam, you're probably a thousand times more than I, but I, hey, will you be my mentor? Which I don't even know what that means. Yeah, Still, that, that phrase that's a horrible that kind of like, it's horrible, but like I get it all, every time I speak, I'm always like, one, define that. Two, we don't even know either. And three, like, yeah. what are we going to hold hands? Um, I just don't understand what to do with it. So how do you recommend people go about hooking up with people that they find intriguing without looking sure. at Sure. So it depends what your, what your, um, what you want the outcome to be, but it's kind of similar. So I'll you, well, first I'll say that I think in 10 to 20 years, do you know how like our parents say the shit like back then I would walk around and no one would ever bother me or back then you could leave your doors unlocked or back then you could do this and that. I think in yeah. about 10 or 30 years, we are going to say that about email. We are going to say back then you could email literally anyone. And um, I think people don't understand that, that you can email anyone on earth and it's very easy they will respond. And so what I'll use my girlfriend, for example, and this is the same thing that we've done with all of our, when Sarah wanted a job, she, I, she was going to go to school. She was going to go to get her uh, master's degree. This one job said she had to do it. Had that, had, on paper, the requirement was a master's degree. And I was like, no, just here's what you need to do. Email the person who's as high up on the whoever you want to talk to. Tell them that you know, you're at a crossroads and you want to have a career like them and you admire everything they've accomplished. And ask them if you can come and ask them just a few questions for 10 minutes on how they've accomplished what they've accomplished. And people love hearing that. And then once someone spends yeah. 10, 20, whatever, 30 minutes talking all about themselves, typically they'll say, so what about you? Tell me about yourself. And that's your opportunity to really tell them about themselves. And that people love to help others that A, they know, and B, they've kind of invested a little bit of their time in. So that's one way to understand how they got to where they got to. Because that's really flattering. The second thing that I think is really good is uh, when I talked to one of, one of our, there's one investor of ours who I, I was a big fan of for a long time. I would email him small questions all the time, knowing that eventually I wanted to ask him a big question, like if he, if he would invest in us. And the way that I did that was, I would say, like I would do some really in-depth research. And I was like, Scott, like years ago, your website, I would find like a screenshot of it. Like, you know, I'm running a similar business. Did you guys do that for this reason or that reason? What was the outcome? And he'll like quickly say like, oh, that's a cool find. This was the result. It's like, okay, cool. Thanks. We're doing this thing, this thing. So I'm going to apply that. And then I would just, we'd have that conversation a ton. And then eventually after like months of doing this, I went in for the kill and asked him if he wanted to join our team. And that's um, another way I think of going about it, which is start by asking small questions and small favors. And then eventually it can lead to the big one. Um, and then finally, um, people... Regard, like even people who are extremely successful, they find winners and people who are unsuccessful but extremely driven and motivated and because they can sense that that person will one day be something amazing. And if you can 
prove that you're extremely driven and make sure that people know that you do good work. It doesn't matter if you're quote successful or not. If someone sees that you're a doer and not a talker, because most people talk a lot and don't, don't do, um, people, folks will want to help you. So I think that's the best way to go about it. Go about, go about it. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I because I am astounded by what would happen if people just took two more steps in the first initial step, which is go and attend something and then get the contact information of the person that's speaking and never I think make all the difference. But you're right on about make it short, you know, be good, be brief, be gone, right? And one and die. follow up all the time. <laughs> I might steal that one. Well, I know I promised to not keep you very long because you are moving offices today and doing big things over there. I'd love to do just a couple of random questions that I'm always curious about for interesting humans. So um, what about this one? It was the one thing, it could be personal, it could be something you have to buy, have to have, have to whatever. What's something that just Sam needs every day? I eat like crap. I love eating um, sh- sugar, so candy. Butterfinger in particular. Come on, that's a good one. So anybody listening, if you want to get on Sam's good side, now you know, Butterfingers for day. You had to commit sort of a heinous crime, or not if you had to, if you had committed a heinous crime, something terrible, would you be found? And what do you think you'd be doing? That's interesting. You'd have to leave it all behind. I would probably go to, well, I'd go to Brazil. They've got, uh, they've got very bad, bad laws about uh, extraditing criminals. So I'd, 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 go to, I'd go to Brazil, I think, because it's a booming economy, and uh, I think I could uh, make a name for myself down there and hopefully wouldn't get extradited back to America for my crime. Yeah, I would go to Rio. I could do Rio. That's where the, uh, the statue of, what's it called? Cristo. Yes, yeah. yeah. One of those people, are, uh, the Brazilians are extremely pretty. So yeah, I, I could go to Brazil. <laughs> You'll move there for the Christ the Redeemer statue and the skin tone. I think that makes perfect sense. Well, yeah. have you, have you had- my girlfriend's Haitian, and so she, and, or she looks Dominican, but she, she looks very similar to uh, that uh, skin tone, and I think it's a really pretty uh, skin tone. So, yeah, I'll go to Brazil. I have to agree. Well, and they can dance, too, and they've got some killer food, so I think you'd be right on point. Um, okay, the last thing that I'll kind of wrap up with you on is, like, talk to me about, you know, what, what do you want the people who are listening to this? To know first, I'd love to hear. You know, if you were to explain to them what the hustle is and why they should tune into it, what would be your explanation there? And how would you explain it to somebody who has never seen that man showering? I would in the say intro the before? hustle is uh, a business news uh, company where uh, it's almost like if Bloomberg and The Daily Show had a baby, uh, that's what we would be. You go to thehustle.co, you sign up with their email, and every morning you get all the news and information you need to be successful at work, but it's told in a very funny way, like Saturday Night Live and business. I love it. Yeah. And, and where do you want everybody to go? The, the best place for them to find you and to find the hustle is simply thehustle.com uh, and then to sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, the or any it's the best co. way. Dot co. Yeah, so if you Google The Hustle, it should come up number one. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, The Sam Parr, but I don't tweet much. I only, I, I typically save Twitter for trolling. <laughs> oh, no. I hope you're funny and, and kind of nice. <laughs>